Meadow Ranch, how are you guys doing? Oh, man. Man, is it crazy that it has already been a week? That is nuts. How many of you guys think that went by really fast? I agree with you. And then all the rest of the people that didn't raise their hand are the counselors in the room. So, uh, <laughs> counselors, I love you guys, man. Thanks for giving a week to these students. Students, I love you guys. Thanks for paying attention and being awesome. And it has been a great joy being with you this week, having the opportunity to get into God's Word and to learn together and grow together. And I'm excited for those of you guys that stayed back last night, made decisions, did some work with Jesus. It was so cool to sit in this room and watch you guys interact with one another, with your leaders, to pray for and with one another. It was amazing. And so to start our time off, instead of clapping, although let's stick with the trend that we've established, we're going to, on the count of three, all hands in, let's go, stack hands, guys. On the count of three, we're just going to yell out, thank you, Jesus. All right, ready? One, two, three, thank you, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Okay. So let me recap for you real quick what happened this morning. What happened this morning in our skit. So the tomb was empty. Mary showed up on the scene. And then later, Theo spoke, and Mary responded. I can't remember the dog's name, but I know her as Mary, according to Scripture. But what was the dog's name? Anybody remember? Missy. There you go, Missy. All right, cool. And the thing that I don't want you to miss, we're in John chapter 20, by the way, if you guys want to follow along, is Mary was called out of darkness into the light, by Jesus. Mary Magdalene had a, a rough and torturous past, and Jesus called her out of darkness into light. And we see in the first couple verses of, of John 20, Mary returns to the tomb. This is in 11, grieving Jesus, and Jesus calls out to her, and she recognizes his voice. The good shepherd had laid down his life, taken it up again, and his sheep listened and recognized him. He then goes on from his interaction with her, and can you just imagine the peace that she experienced as she had an interaction with Jesus, resurrected Jesus. He goes on and he has some more people to show himself to. His disciples, if you remember, in Jesus' moment of peril as he is going to the cross, as people are hurling insults at him, as they are, have beaten him and placed a, uh, that crossbar on his shoulders, his bloodied and battered shoulders, and he's walking. His disciples have dispersed all but the one whom Jesus loved, who was by his side till the end. They've all regrouped. But before it came to that moment, before it, Jesus went to that cross and paid that price, he told his disciples something that was going to happen. He paved the way for something that he knew he was going to do after he defeated death, after he defeated that grave. It's in John 14, 25 through 28. It says, 
I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father who is greater than I am. Jesus lays out this promise to his disciples that as he goes, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, would be with them and he would deliver peace and he would remind them of everything that Jesus had taught. He would equip them to do the things that Jesus has called them to do and he would deliver peace of mind and heart in the process. And Jesus says it this way, and I don't want you to miss it. It's peace that the world cannot give. See, peace from God always trumps what we would consider peace from the world around us. If I'm going to sum up what, sum up what Jesus tells his disciples here in John 14, Jesus basically says this, God with you is good, but God in you is far better. And that's what he promises his disciples in this instance. So now we're back in 20, all right? So if you're still with me in 20, great. Don't be concerned. You're in the right place. He appears to his disciples. This is verse 19. Let's read it together. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, notice that in this instance, the disciples had fear. That is what controlled their actions and controlled their mindsets, so much so that they had bunkered down and locked themselves in. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. In your moment of fear, peace be with you. Although you may face trials, peace be with you. Although you have opposition and hardship, peace be with you. Verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus has an interaction with a disciple named Thomas, and Thomas you know, gets told that Jesus showed up secondhand, and all the other disciples are overjoyed, and Thomas says, unless I see the holes and can place my finger where they pierced his hands, and can place my hand where the spear stuck him, I will not believe. Jesus responds to him and to them in this way in 29. I love this. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Let's go back to 21 now, chapter 20. I love this. The disciples, they're overjoyed when they saw it was the Lord. Why? Because he showed him his hands. And then look at this, 21. Jesus said, peace be with you. 
I told you guys, sometimes people need reminders, right? I know I do. Paul wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Why? Because people needed to hear it and he needed to hear it. Jesus says, peace be with you the first time. They missed it. Why? Because they're still living in fear. Why? Because they haven't, they haven't identified the fact yet that Jesus is standing with them. And so a second time, he says, peace be with you. This time it clicks. Why? Because they saw the holes in the hand and they saw the piercing in the side. And so now all of a sudden, they're able to have peace. Why? Because Jesus is with them. And so if Jesus is with them, all of a sudden, the peace that Jesus brings, because he has always brought that to them, is now relevant. It's real. It's something that they can digest. It's something that they can consume. It's something that they can own and hold for their own because they now have Jesus with them. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 22 says this, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John 14 says, God with you is good. But God in you is far better. And now, six chapters later, Jesus comes to them and says, peace be with you. And on the second time, the disciples finally get it. And they're like, yeah, Jesus is here to stay. He's going to hang out. I know he said something different, you know, a few chapters earlier, but he's with us. So now we don't have to live in fear. We can live in peace because we're with Jesus. And Jesus goes, guys, don't miss it. And he breathes out the Holy Spirit, the promised advocate that is going to remind them of everything that he taught them and the peace and joy that he had promised that overcomes trials and overcomes hardships. Jesus pours out his spirit and commissions his disciples to move in his strength that only he provides. Look, you guys are gonna go home pretty soon and I want to ensure you that the Jesus that some of you have met this week on this mountaintop does not just exist on this mountaintop. The peace that you have felt this week as the cares of the world have kind of left your mind, that peace goes with you if you allow it to go with you. See, if we condition our minds to each and every day that Jesus gives us to put him on the throne of our lives and trust in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit that now indwells us who believe, who have called upon his name, then he gives us that power and authority to walk and step with him. See, he, he calls us to a certain mission. He doesn't just want us to sit with now this new light that we've received under a basket. What good is that? He wants that light to shine in a world that is consumed by darkness because where there's a little bit of light and a whole lot of darkness, it cuts through. It shines bright. And that's what he desires for us to do. It's his kingdom purpose. And he doesn't just call us to it. He equips us to live it out. Check this out. A little story of my boy, and I love this story, and this is a true story, 100%, no, no fiction on this story whatsoever. I like to prove my strength to my wife. I know, I know, it's a bit silly, but there's been a lot of times in my life where my wife will come to me, and she'll go, Kevin, guess what? And I'll say, what's that? And she said, I got a new piece of furniture, and I'll say, Wow, 
so good. And she goes, guess what? I have the perfect place for it. And it just so happens I got it at a really good deal and it's solid oak. My wife likes strong materials. She has some Ikea stuff because she is Swedish, so she got to support the motherland, you know. But she really likes well-built, well-established, antique-type furniture. And I don't know if you guys have ever tried to move any of that stuff, but it's well-built because it's very, very heavy and very, very sturdy. And so there's been a lot of times in my life where my wife asks me to move certain things. And she goes, don't you think you should call for help and ask people to do that with you? And I said, I probably should, but I'm not going to because watch this. Wow. You know, I got this. I got this. One such occasion, she got this bookshelf. It was really tall, solid oak. And she said, I think that bookshelf would look really good in our upstairs bedroom. And I looked at her and I said, I think it would look really good in our downstairs living room. And she said, nope, upstairs bedroom. And I said, cool, that's great. And she said, you should call some of your buddies over. And I said, I probably should, but I'm not gonna, right? And so I look at this oak bookshelf and I kind of size it up. And I'm thinking to myself, I got this. I'm just gonna flip it upside down because that's where the smooth side is, you know, flip it upside down, and I'm just gonna push it up the stairs. But I'm gonna make sure that my wife knows how heavy it is, so I'm gonna make all sorts of grunting sounds when I do it, right? So I'm like, as I'm shoving it up the stairs, right? And I'm making sure I am taking my sweet time, because I want her to know, like, look, you can depend on me to move furniture, like this. Then my three-year-old gunner, just a little guy at this time, comes up between me and the bookshelf. And I'm about halfway up the stairs. And I'm now just kind of holding it steady like this and I'm pushing it a little bit. But then my little dude gets in between me and the bookshelf and he goes, he starts making the sounds that daddy makes. And I'm like, dude, you're awesome. As I look at him, <laughs> he's pushing with his little spindly arms. He's not doing anything. And then all of a sudden, hold on, guys. All of a sudden, he looks up at me and he goes, Dad, you're kind of in the way. <laughs> I looked at my boy and I really, I honestly had to fight the temptation to just go, oh, really? And just, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would never do that. I would never do that. But seriously, though, but seriously, though, isn't that us? Listen up. Isn't that us? Instead of recognizing God's power and strength that indwells us as the Holy Spirit lives inside of those who have said yes to Jesus, who have called upon a name that is greater than any other name, instead of acknowledging the power source that lives inside of us, isn't it so true of our reality that oftentimes in our lives we wake up and we look at God as we grunt and try and push the bookshelf of our life upstairs and say, God, you're kind of in the way. Whether we ever say those words or not, don't our actions speak that to him? as we try and do things in our own strength, as if something really ultimately depends on us, how silly is that? It's about as silly as my three-year-old thinking he's gonna push that bookshelf up the stairs. 
There's a couple of things about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit desires to work in and through our lives. One of them is the Holy Spirit frees us from trying to live the new life that we have in Jesus in our own power. See, when we try and do things in our own power or in our own strength, we usually just make a mess of it. The Holy Spirit equips us and reminds us that we are not to live this new life that we have in Jesus in our own strength, because we can't, but we're supposed to rely on the, the power and the, the source that now indwells us as we are now living on mission for Jesus and not for ourselves. We are about his kingdom purposes and not our own purposes. Remember, guys, I talked a couple days ago that following Jesus, that Christianity, it's different than any other religion that has ever existed in this world. Every other religion is, this is what I must do to work my way to God, while Christianity is, this is what God has done to work his way to us in and through the person of Jesus. If it was possible for us, then we would have figured it out, but it's impossible for us, so why would a new life in Jesus be any different? We must always, each and every day, rely on God in order to live out the life that he's called us to live out. Jesus says it this way in Luke 9, 23, and this is one of my favorite passages in scripture because it keeps me humble and it reminds me of where I stand in front of an almighty and righteous God as I want to live this life daily for him. Jesus says, if anyone should come after me, he must deny himself. Notice the verbiage. If anyone should come after me, he must, not he should consider, but he must deny himself. So, if we are going to follow after Jesus, if, if, we are going to, if we are going to be a part of kingdom purposes, then it starts with us denying ourselves, laying down our rights each and every single day. Because the rest of that verse says this, if anyone should come after me, they must deny themselves and pick up their cross daily and follow after me. See, a walk with Jesus is not merely about a one-time decision. It's about a, a daily dependence. See, in the same way that each and every day that I wake up, I choose my wife, and I hope that she chooses me back. See, it wasn't just a one-time decision for my wife and I to be married. Sure, we had, we, we had one wedding. Actually, we had two, which is a weird story, but we had we had a wedding day where we took vows and we put rings on our fingers, but each and every day we choose to honor each other as husband and as wife. In the same way, if we're gonna live a life committed to Jesus, we do that and we make that decision in our hearts and in our minds each and every day that he chooses to give us as we pick up our cross and we follow after him, denying ourselves and ultimately letting him take the lead. Ephesians 4.1, this is Paul writing, says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, meaning it's really important, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. See, the moment you say yes to Jesus and you call on that name that is greater than any other name, you have received a mission from God, whether you realize it or not, whether you feel equipped or not, that's not your decision to make. He equips the called. And so don't worry about your abilities. If God calls you to something, he's gonna give you the strength to carry it out. You just have to rely on him for it instead of yourself. Romans 8, 9 says this, 
You are not controlled by your sinful nature. See, that's part of the old self. Now you've got this new self that each day you are going to put on that's being made right and renewed by the spirit that now indwells you. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. See, if Jesus, if God's gonna call you to something, he's gonna give you the strength to carry it out in and through the person of the Holy Spirit. Check this out. The Holy Spirit continuously draws our attention to Jesus. Why? Because we need it. If we didn't have that, then our attention would be continuously drawn to ourselves. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 13 says this. No one can know a person's thought except the person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. I tell you this, I read this scripture, why? Because if you have said yes to Jesus and you are made new in him, you will have the opportunity to speak of what he has done in your life. And I say will, not might. You will have the opportunity to speak of what he has done in your life. And some of you guys are now terrified at that. But here's the thing. The Spirit's words will share God's story that he has written in your life. And who better to tell it but you? See, we must trust God for the words. We must trust God that he is going to speak, but we have to allow him to do so. And how do we do that? By getting out of the way. See, we've all been given a story. We've all been given a testimony, but if we're a star of our own testimony, then is it really about God? See, it has to be all about God and what he has pulled us from. Mary Magdalene recognized that she was pulled from the darkness into light. She listened to the shepherd's voice. She knew that if she was going to do anything for the kingdom, it was all going to be contingent and dependent upon him and not her. And we are the same. Same goes for everybody who wrote Bible after Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit worked in and through their lives to pen letters And those letters are sacred text from God himself to you. They depended on the spirit. They didn't just write because they felt like writing. They wrote because God moved in and through their lives to impact people with his kingdom purpose that they just happened to be able to share because he equipped them to do so. Look, you guys live in a really, really hard time in this world's history. I remember being your guys' age and it wasn't nearly as complicated. There wasn't, there wasn't this crazy thing called social media. That didn't come out until I was in college. I didn't have a cell phone until I was a junior and when I did it was this giant brick that every text message I sent cost five cents and it only had one game and it was called Snake. Some of the counselors were like, ooh man, I love that game, right? It was, it was simple. Here's the thing, you guys, the world that you live in, information that's available to you doubles every 16 hours. I don't even know how that's possible. To me, that just baffles my mind that all of a sudden, in a day's time, in less than a day's time, the information as we knew it 
increased. What? Google. We saw it in the video. Is the hot dog a sandwich? Which, by the way, it's not. The hot dog is just simply the meat. The bun is what makes it the sandwich. Anyways, that's a little extra for you guys. Wisdom. Here we go. Google has so much information, you could just type in anything, and all of a sudden there's resources upon resources upon resources upon resources, some factual, some non-factual, and you're supposed to decide which one's which? If anything, guys, the world that you live in now, it's even more important that you cling to this. Because otherwise, how is anyone supposed to navigate this world without being utterly confused as we stumble through the darkness? Allow the Holy Spirit what the Holy Spirit is intended to be in your life. Someone that works in and through you. Some, someone that illuminates your understanding to how God would have you walk and how God would have you live out the things of his word. Look, this world that you all live in, it really pushes you guys to live for yourselves. And so combating that is, is hard. Please do not rely on your own ability to do so. Rely on a power source far greater than yourself. The world that you live in pushes you to focus on yourself, to, to define your own reality, to choose your own truth, as if you're even capable of doing that, to follow your heart, to do what feels right. And the list goes on and on and on, and you guys are just continually peppered with this idea over and over and over and over and over again. And as you go down the mountain, I just want to remind you of a simple truth. That God had a truth for you long before all of the information of this world existed. My son, Gunner, when he was three, he did um, an art piece for me. It's the first time we ever let him use watercolors. And uh, there it is right there. It's pretty cute, right? And so he comes to me. He comes to me and he says, Daddy. Daddy, can you guess what that's a picture of? And I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh baby, is this one of those pictures where you have to look at it really close and then all of a sudden the abstract thing pops out and I'm, I'm like, man, I really don't wanna crush my son but he asked me a question and I hope I get it right. And so I look at it and I'm like, Gunner, is it a lake? And he goes, nah, daddy, it's not a lake. <laughs> guess again, okay. I look at it again. Gunner, is it a picture of us at the beach? Nah, daddy. It's not a picture of us at the beach. Guess again. Uh, Gunner, is it a picture of a golf course? Nah, daddy. It's not a picture of a golf course. Guess again. And this goes on and on and on. And I'm starting to feel bad for my son, and also starting to think, how much can this boy take before his self-esteem goes way down? And I guess probably 15 to 20 to 25 times before I finally go, Gunner, what is the painting? And he goes, well, Daddy, a few weeks ago, we went to Legoland with Oma and Opa and Mom, and it was so fun. And this is a painting of me, you, and Opa on the dinosaur roller coaster. And it was such a blast. And I loved it so much, so I decided to make a painting of it. Don't you love it, Daddy? And I said, 
Yeah, boy. That's a really good painting, man. See, here's what struck me about that moment with my son. If you want to know what something is in this world, you ask the artist. You don't get to ask other people what it is. Why? Because they didn't create it. The only way I was ever going to understand what that painting was is if I asked the little boy who made it himself. And then as soon as I asked him the question, it was plain to see. See, the same goes for God. You want to know who you are? Ask God. You want to know what your identity and purpose is? Ask God. It's not for the world to define. It's only for Jesus to define. And the Holy Spirit reminds us of that as it works in and through our lives. Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Some translations say workmanship. Other translations say masterpiece. For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, the world might choose to define you as something else, but that's not for them to do. You might choose to define you as something else, but that's not your choice to make. The only person, the only being in all of eternity who has the right to define who we are is the one that created us and redeemed us. And as he looks at us, he calls us masterpiece. And don't you ever forget that. As you head down that mountain, live out of that confidence and let the cares of the world slip into the backdrop. Galatians 2.20, this is also Paul, says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Meaning that each and every day that you wake up, it's not a day for you to live for yourself or your own selfish gain or ambition. It's only a day that has been given to you to live for Christ because he paid a price that you couldn't pay so that you could live on mission for his kingdom purposes, which if you think about it, it is absolutely crazy that an almighty, righteous, holy, and powerful God would choose to use broken people redeemed by his perfect son for his perfect purposes. That to me is baffling. I'm not worthy of it. The only reason that, that I get up in the, the day and have any sort of confidence is because I know the creator of all things calls me worthy because of his son and the work that he's done in my life. I want to remind you of this. As you go home tomorrow, you don't go home alone. If you know Jesus as you go home tomorrow and you're now faced with the things that you left behind you don't face them alone. And some of you are going, duh, Kevin, we have a bus full of people going with us. That's not what I'm talking about. If you know Jesus and have called upon that name, then you take that Holy Spirit with you because it's given to you as a gift from God so that you can live out the things that he calls you to live out. I heard this story when I was uh, 25 years old. I was new to ministry, and I went and visited this church, and this guy was teaching, and he told me this story about... Uh, about his, his college roommates 
We're just going to call them Pete and Tom. Pete was a, was a cool guy. He was a freshman, and, and he was excited to be at school. And Tom was a junior. And Tom was wise, and he was so filled with joy. And, and Pete wanted to know a little bit about Tom's secret. See, because Tom had faced a hardship in his life. When he was 16 years old, he was in a terrible car accident, and that car accident took his sight. And so he had to relearn everything. At 16, he had to relearn how to write. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn all things that he had once depended upon his sight to be able to do. He had to completely start over. And so Tom really wanted to know, or Pete really wanted to know what Tom's secret was because as he looks at his roommate who went through that hardship, he doesn't see any bitterness. He doesn't see any anger. He doesn't see, see any woe is me or oh, how, how do you overcome this? He doesn't see any of that. He just sees joy and he sees it overflowing. And so he asks him, he says, Tom, what's your secret? And Tom said, well, after the accident, I was super angry. For six months, I was super angry. I hardly ever left my room. Uh, I would leave to use the bathroom and to get something to eat, and that's about it. And my parents never saw me. I didn't talk to anybody. I shut everybody out because I just didn't want to deal. I didn't want to exist. I wanted my life to be over. And if I'm honest, I wished that God would just remove me from this planet because I didn't want to go on anymore. And Pete looks at him. He goes, dude, Tom, that's not the person I see today, so what changed? He said about six months after the accident, my dad came into my room, and he flung open my door. And he said, Tom? You're going to get up, I'm going to go to work, and while I'm gone, you are going to clean the gutters of this house. And if they are not clean, and if they are not spotless, by the time I get home, I don't know what the price is that you're going to have to pay, but it's going to be extreme. So you better get moving. And, I, and he slammed the door, and he left. And Tom said, oh, I sat there, and I was so angry at my dad. I thought to myself, how could he do that? Doesn't he know that I'm blind? I can't see. I might break my neck. What is he thinking? What kind of dad is he to demand that I do that? Tom said that uh, he sat there and stewed for a little bit, and then he came to the conclusion that he's going to get up on that ladder, and he's going to prove his dad wrong. And if he breaks his neck, well, then his dad's just going to have to live with that his entire life. So, he gets up and he starts feeling along the wall. He makes his way into the garage. He starts feeling along the wall, finds the ladder, moves it out to the front yard, puts the ladder up against the house, extends the ladder so that he could gently climb up the ladder step by step, making his way to the gutter. And chunk by chunk, he starts to remove leaves and debris and gunk that had been built up for months and months and months. And he, it's not a fast process, but he goes down the ladder, he moves it over about a half a foot and does it over and over and over again until he works his way all the way around the house. He drops the ladder and puts it back up onto the wall, feels his way back into his bedroom, closes the door, and about a minute later, the garage door goes up again. His dad's home from work. Tom's like, yeah, I showed him. I got it done. And Pete goes, oh, I get it. You saw that you could like overcome obstacles and so that, that brought you joy. Tom's like, no, nah, that's not it, man. He said later that day, I was feeling pretty good and 
So I went out into the living room because I was going to join the family for dinner, and I heard my dad talking to my mom, and he said, Honey, you should have seen our boy today. He couldn't see, but he didn't allow that to stop him. He went out into the garage, and he got the ladder. And I wanted to help him, but I knew he had to do it, so I, I stood in the back just in case something went wrong. And he put the ladder up against the gutters, and he climbed up on it, and I was right behind him just in case. You know, he slipped or whatever. I was there to catch the guy. And then he walked around the house, and he picked up all the leaves, and I was with him the entire time. I just couldn't believe that our boy was doing it. I was so excited. And Tom looked at Pete, and he goes, do you get it now? He goes, I was reminded because my dad didn't go to work. He stayed with me that whole time as I overcame the thing that I was afraid of. He was with me every step of the way in case I slipped, in case I fell. He was going to be there when things were hard, and he walked with me. And Pete goes, man, that's pretty good. You got a good dad. And he goes, I got an even better heavenly father because he promises to do the same for all who call upon his name. Look, when you go home, you are not alone. You have a God who loves you, that paid an ultimate price for you, that seals you with his Holy Spirit so that you can live for him instead of yourself so that each day he gives you, you can deny yourself and pick up that cross and live for his purposes. That's what he is equipping you to do if you tap into that power that is greater than yourself. Let's wrap it up with this, guys. John 17, it says this in verse 13, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but for you to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus is praying to his Father for us, our mediator, with ultimate authority, is crying out to the Father on our behalf. God could have taken us out of this world the moment we said yes to Jesus, but he saw it best to leave us here as a reflection of him, giving us the light of life through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we could shine bright in the darkness with his power and his authority at the forefront of our lives. Guys, the collective unit of that is known as the church. And if you don't have one, when you go home, assignment one is to find one. Be a part of the church. The church is not a building that you show up and you sit down in. The church is the movement that you have chosen to be a part of the moment you said yes to Jesus. It is his body that is, has him as the cornerstone and it's moving. It's moving with his power and his authority. Be a part of it. Cherish it. Love it. Grow in it. Equip one another to do the works that God has equipped you to do. Spur one another on with love and good deeds. Be a part of a community that really matters. 
When the world says, be a part of this that's going to give you some sort of satisfaction, be a part of what God has called you to be a part of. His church, he paid an ultimate price for it. He loves it. He loves it. And if we love him, we ought to love the things that he loves. That's his church. That's his body. And every single church, no matter what the name is on the front of it, has the same mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit with Jesus as the head. The mission is this, handed down by Jesus himself. It isn't something that I came up with. It isn't something that your senior pastor came up with or your youth pastor came up with. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Guys, above all else, trust the power of God in your lives that he sealed you with so that as you read his word, he illuminates your understanding to it and he equips you to live it out each and every day, daily surrender to him above self and do it collectively with your friends known as the church. Lean into one another and lean into him. It's no longer about you. Let him come to the forefront of your life. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that we have in you. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray as these students and as these leaders head off this mountain, Lord, that you equip them in a special way to do the things that you would have them to do. Illuminate their eyes and their hearts and their minds to your word and how it desires to grow them and change them and equip them, Lord. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that, that they would have the strength to live out the things of the word, that they wouldn't just be hearers of the word or readers of the word, that they would be doers of your word, Lord. And that each and every day that you choose to give them, each and every day that you choose to give us, Lord, that we would lay down our own lives, pick up a cross and follow after you. Thank you, Lord, for your design, that you choose to, live us here to be, leave us here to be your light as we live, Lord, and that we get to do so collectively as your church. Thank you, Jesus, for all your gifts to us. In Jesus' name, amen.